We are back here on Mining Stock Daily. A little bit of a corporate update slash market commentary with one Brandon McDonald. He's the CEO of Fireweed Zinc, trading on the TSX Venture with FWZ. They continue to explore and develop the McMillan Pass project up in the Yukon. Uh, I've asked Brandon to come on here. It's kind of twofold, but more so to get some thoughts and takeaways from his trip to London last week for LME Week. Uh, a lot of takeaways on his end. He was kind of sh- kind enough to share some of those conversations he had with me offline. So I asked him to come on here and uh, share some of those discussions and, and things that he learned. Uh, it was an interesting time to be at LME Week because obviously we saw the base metal complex really surge. Uh, not just copper, but uh, we can talk about zinc as well. That it, I mean, it went up to about a buck seventy, a buck seventy pound. Um, so, Brandon, you know, let's uh, start here. What this? It's an interesting week. Who who participates in LME Week? And as a junior explorer here, uh, with a project far, far away from London, you know what? You know what was what. What did you have to offer here to those uh, to those metals traders? Well, so I was only unofficially participating in LME Week for for a company like us. You know, we're there's too many years between us and and shipping con to be of particular you know value in in that discussion. Um, but for me, it's intelligence. It's good to hear what the market's up to, um, and it also gets a lot of people in one place. Um, so. You know, this LME week a bit different. Um, I, I don't even know if there was anything last year in person. Uh, I don't there, don't imagine there would have been. But this year, you're still missing most of the Aussies and stuff like that who are who are not venturing far from home. Um, but the Europeans were there. Some North Americans were there. And so it was a good chance for me to, to catch up with some trading houses, uh, some senior producers, uh, some analysts, and uh, get the lay of the land. So what was the lay of the land? I mean, obviously, markets were really moving fast while those conversations were happening. I have a hard time. I have a hard time thinking that those people weren't also networking and working diligently at the same time. Yeah, well, um, obviously, the market we pay closest attention to at Fireweed Zinc is the <laughs> zinc market, right? And that was going absolutely bananas. Um, and really driven by the European energy crisis and talks out of Nearstar um, in particular that they were going to shutter as much as half of their um, you know, smelter supply there in Europe, um, which would have a pretty huge impact on uh, physical metal supply, right? So prices got squeezed. Uh, it's a pretty big backwardation. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to last, but, uh, it does. And it, and it hasn't that, that, you know, peak you talked about, it's already well off that, but, um, I think it shows the fragility of these base metal markets. What about the timing of this, fr- uh, fragility? Because we had Mark Thompson on earlier this week. He said, be prepared for massive volatility in the metals markets moving forward, probably through 2022, which is a key takeaway that I had throughout that lengthy conversation with Mark. I mean, can we expect these volatile moves down along with volatile moves up in the entire metals complex? Yeah, look, every metal is going to have its own specific supply demand dynamics, but broadly, you know, a lot of destocking. Um, and you know, it's a big question of how much 
how much hidden inventory is there out there? How much destocking is real versus sort of shenanigans? And then how much does China saber rattle about selling inventory to, to comp metals prices, which is a, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, a bluff, but nonetheless, it still gets traders' attentions. I, I think we're, we're in choppy periods here, right? So it's going to be pretty, pretty volatile for a while, as, as long as you've got those fine supply demand balances and potentials for big disruptions, right? So COVID, obviously a big disruption, energy crisis, big disruption. We're not talking about like, oh, one mine in Chile has a strike or something like that. It's like, no, 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 this, this is like, can be pretty broad impacts pretty quick. Uh, disruptions are really kind of, you know, a lot of it's based on the, I guess, I don't know, you can call it energy shortage or an energy crisis. I think that maybe is, I don't know if that term is used too liberally this early. Uh, maybe a lot of people will cringe and tell me I'm wrong. That's that's totally fine. But, you know, it, it, a lot of these moves on the metal side seem to be coming back on higher energy costs. But what about the supply-demand side, if we just stick with the zinc market? What are you hearing about supply-demand moving forward? Or is that just kind of the next step after uh, this energy this energy issue? Well, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, First, fundamentally, I'm a zinc bull, but then obviously no one has to believe me on that because I have to at least fly that flag, right? <laughs> Running a zinc company, of course, I'm going to at least pretend to be a, a zinc bull. But I was surprised that pre-crisis here, I was surprised that zinc continued to trade where it was. You know, it was hovering in the $140 per pound range. And and it, was, it seemed, I just didn't quite crack the code on why it was like that. And it was good to get some intel on, what's going on. And a lot of it, uh, at least from the analysts I talked to, seems to be driven by demand ex-China. It's not actually China that's that's really been driving that price. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, first off, catching up on missed demand from or missed production from last year. So companies playing catch up. And that, so that kind of inflates demand a little bit. Um, it's restocking of inventories. Uh, and it's also to a degree overstocking of inventories. And I'm not talking inventories of physical metal, I'm talking about you're building a galvanized widget and normally you would be aiming for just-in-time supply. And it's like, as we know with supply chains right now, supply chains are a nightmare. So people are, they're leaning away from just-in-time now. So what that means is everyone's building inventories of widgets uh, or whatever um that they previously wouldn't have um so you're getting somewhat artificial demand I, I don't think that a lot of what's happening right now is really reflective of a of a true steady state uh supply demand balance but maybe what we're learning is that that steady state is a fiction anyways um so you know perhaps next year or the year after there's you know prices are going to come down people are going to be you know screaming metals apocalypse and it's just like yeah i don't know they, they've got the inventory now it's just cooling off a bit or or they're burning through inventory and it's like that's also not reflective of steady state um so cr credit to the analysts and they they have a difficult job of trying to really peer through the noise and see well, but where are we actually at you know, that, that's, that's the challenge. 
Yeah, what was your takeaway as far as the preparedness from the metals trading houses, whether it be the big boys like the Trafiguras or maybe the smaller shops? Were they prepared for this, I guess, for lack of a better term, a squeeze on supply all around? Geez, I don't know. You know, no one, they weren't really talking in that respect. I don't think they were expecting this, right? You know, of course, if... If it was expected, it wouldn't have been so sharp because the the, the smart money would be leading it, right? So, um, and does it matter on their long-term contracts? How many of them are necessarily having to go to uh, the spot market to to pick things up and and meet contractual needs? Um, you know, I think a lot of that spot demand is probably driven by um, some consumers who, you know, as a policy, buy a lot off spot. Yeah. And, um, you know, which, which is a, a frequent, you know, it's not, not too different from miners that, you know, miners try not to sell too much forward. Right. So um, a bit different with consumers, but, um, but if they need it, they need it now when they got to pay what they got to, you're not going to shut down your production line because your zinc's 20% more expensive. Like what's, what's that on your input costs versus what's the cost of, of uh, shutting down your, you know, I don't know, your car, manufacturing plant or something right so um I, I think the traders probably had an easier time of it than the consumers the actual end consumers we've been kind of getting a lot of uh reports regarding lack of inventories more on the copper side uh that there is concerns Goldman Sachs but they you know concerns of complete depletion of inventory in the copper side maybe q2 of next year i mean that's kind of astounding to think about uh but on the zinc side you know what are you hearing as far as inventories on the zinc side yeah i know it's going down in both uh lme and and shanghai um but the which you'd expect right like people are people are destocking or, or taking zinc off inventory right now in anticipation of this energy crunch but the funny thing is is that from what I understand, uh, you know, Nearstar has talked about turning off 50% of their, you know, capacity, but it's not done yet. It may actually be a negotiating tactic with their energy suppliers. Um, so this this could be an anticipation issue versus an actual direct impact issue. Mm, um, interesting. Which which means the pendulum will swing the other way, right? The people who now have have overstocked on on Zake Metal in anticipation of this this uh smelting supply reduction or smelting capacity reduction if that doesn't manifest are are now overstocked right so you're going to get a softening in spot price coming up brandon what's where's the opportunity here for a explorer and developer such as fireweed zinc to really leverage these early exploration and development plays to say the spot market um, you know, and, you know, it, other than just, you know, having a market capitalization increase with an increase in the cost of the metal, which is usually the case, but how do you leverage early stage projects such as the Macmillan Pass project to these big trading houses or miners in a time where there's a lot of chaos? You know, it, 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 it can be a good time, but also be a bad time. One, they're probably a little busy and it, it's like, they don't really <laughs> want to hear from me. Right. But, but it also, I think in the direct aftermath of this, um, you know, the zinc, the zinc issue right now really being driven more by 
smelter you know capacity than than mine supply although there is still mine supply issues um you know they'll they'll in, as the dust settles they'll they'll give thought to okay well when's this going to happen next what's our long-term book and and um you know companies like the Trafaguras and Glencores, et cetera, that are trading a lot of zinc con and a lot of zinc metal. Um, you know that they they want to build their book, not just like oh I, I want to know how my next three to five years looks. It's like no 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 they're they want long term right. You know that the more the more long term they can lock in, and I'm talking about planning out to 2030, 2035, et cetera, um, filling that book early. Uh, just de-risk their position, right? Because then they're not scrambling to fill it later. So, so it is a good opportunity to kind of point out, like, hey, we got an advanced stage project. We're we're you know proceeding into development, and we're gonna puke a lot of good-looking con for a long time, you know. And that that's a it's a good time. Like I said, probably as the dust is settling uh, to get them engaged. Um, but you know, it's it's super interesting right now. Um, I retail just not aware of what's happening in the base metal space while senior producers are absolutely churning out the cash. Um, but inventories, you know, like uh, reserves, I should say, global reserves, not increasing, you know, new projects, not really emerging. Uh, so there's a lot of money sloshing around. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, as you've seen with BHP and Norant and, and that bidding war, uh, I think is reflective of what's going to come with these with these good big projects. Uh, we've talked a lot here on the podcast over the last couple of years about a decade, if not more, of a lack of investing in new resource projects. A lot on the oil and gas side, we're having that conversation with on the energy debate, but obviously also in copper in the base metals. Uh, Brandon, do you feel like you know the 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 uh they, it's come home to roost and people are starting to recognize that they're having that oh shit moment and a global global governments maybe global supply chains where uh you know we really we really made a mistake here not thinking long term yeah well i think there is starting to think some long term i you know you're looking at you know canada has a new critical metals strat well it's a it's a critical metals list. I don't know if I would fully call it a critical metals strategy yet, but this is the early stages of it, of people realizing that um, supply chains are not guaranteed. Your trading partners are not guaranteed going forward. Um, you may wish to deconcentrate or, or, or uh, de-risk your, your trade books in terms of being uh overexposed to uh you know whatever you know like one particular country or something like that so uh, i think we're beginning like a, a global shift towards that that you know long-term thinking from a government point of view because we we've been living in kind of a a i don't know how I, a globalization like it's just been kind of working well mostly right mm -hmm. so um now people are thinking, okay, well, how do we, you know, maybe maybe we're over integrated into China, and and how do we, you know, spread our our global supply chain out a little more? And that's going to mean a lot of hiccups because it's not not so easy just to 
to move those factories around. But it also seems, I know you're based in Vancouver. I'm down here in Denver. But it seems like our societies, maybe more so in the U.S., not so in Canada, but just a little bit. But just maybe because you guys are so much nicer than we. But it's, you know, we live in this like endless cycle of panic. Like we don't care until it's things are really, really bad. And then we'll do the most we can do to at least mitigate it, but we don't necessarily solve the problem for the long term. We just kind of hit that uh, sub- subdued panic button type for a little bit. You know, it, this you, I don't, it's just hard to see like if how we're going to get through this. I don't necessarily think the panic in supply chains and raw materials has actually set in yet to a point where you have voters calling their calling their Congress people to say, hey, do something about it because my gas is $7 a gallon and my electronics are three times more expensive than they were. We're not there yet. Uh, but, you I, you know, I, I just, I guess I don't know if we have the quite, I'm not comfortable to say that we have a backbone to really think long-term and actually put resources in the, in the forefront of the mind to get things done. Well, I think politicians in particular are very good talking long-term, very bad executing long-term strategy. And and, and this is driven by a, a, an electorate that probably cares exactly about what happened in the two months leading up to the election and everything else kind of irrelevant, right? So uh, it's a bit like the CEO who's focused on their quarterlies, you know, or their next series of quarterlies. You know, you, you've got a CEO, say they're a new CEO or they're not a new CEO, they they're running a senior producer. Are, are they planting seeds that uh, their predecessor uh, or their, their successor, sorry, benefits from their successor's successor benefits from, right? Like it's, it's tough to, to get your focus that long-term. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, appreciate your time. And uh, look, Bum. we'll probably uh, be touching base here again later this uh, late fall, early winter, I'm hoping. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So until then, appreciate your insight. Uh, it's, it sounds like you had a lot of takeaways from your time in London at LME Week, and I, I really appreciate you sharing some of those thoughts. No problem, man. Always happy to chat. Yeah, that's Brandon McDonald from Fireweed Zinc. And actually, that's going to wrap it up today here on the podcast. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning with our long form uh, actually welcoming back verifies Steve DeJong. So this should be an interesting conversation. Stay tuned for that here tomorrow morning. But until then, have a great night, everybody. Be well. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak to a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.